Hello and welcome or welcome back to Fancy a Blather podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Taylor. This week we are chatting to poet extraordinaire Ariel Sai. But right now, let's hop into our intro. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so happy to be chatting with you all this fine well, Monday for you, Sunday for me, or maybe it's a different day of the week for you, I don't know. Um, it's currently 8.54 on a Sunday, and I'm actually even surprised that I'm awake. I am on a long weekend, which is so, so nice. I'm so excited. Just be relaxing, and honestly, I mean, four days is a dream, but honestly, every week should have a three-day weekend, because I'm actually having time to relax and also get my life together. And normally it's just kind of like a Sunday is normally like a mess. But today I can actually enjoy Sunday because I have tomorrow to get my life together, which is wonderful. So I'm just chilling here in Edinburgh. Surprise, surprise. I am back in Edinburgh. Will I ever stop coming here? Probably not. Probably spend more time here than I do in my own flat, like on the weekends. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of the life update. Currently applying for jobs at the moment and uh, just trying to figure out my life for after summer but I'm also trying to live in the present moment and I'm enjoying catching up with friends I had a great gin tour with my mum the other day although 10 a.m was not the move um was not the first choice it was all there was available so we did what we had to do but um yeah it was pretty a pretty interesting day after that um and I went to a bookshop and the book that I'm going to be reading a poem from today I did actually buy at the bookshop called um oh golden hair I think um so if you're ever in Edinburgh I recommend just checking out all the independent bookstores because there's so many wonderful bookstores but anyway so my small wonder of the week this week is watching a show with someone else um, I don't know I think I've never because I've never been in like a serious relationship I've never really appreciated this um, I've never really taken this for granted because I don't do it with a lot of people but sometimes like my best friend and I will watch a show together especially when we both lived in Aberdeen and um, my mom and I started watching a show together while we were here for like two nights before she obviously went home and I'm still here um, and we watched season two of The Sinner so good and I'm waiting for her to watch the finale so we can talk about it I think about having somebody to talk to about a show after you've watched it it's just like it's so fabulous and wonderful and underrated and it just I don't know it's just like an interesting conversation to have and you could talk about topics that maybe you wouldn't normally talk about so um that is my small wonder of the week and what I've been engaging with I just finished um, such a wonderful book that kind of got me at my reading rut because I don't know I just everything I've been reading recently I've not been finishing or enjoying so I just keep putting it off but um, I'm back I'm back on it I'm back on my reading my reading game because of this book it's called The Bird in the Bamboo Cage I bought it from a charity shop for about 50 pence which is a steal a dream we know and I am actually recommending it to everyone ever like everyone I meet in my life at the moment um, it's a well it's based on a true story and it's set in World War Two um, and it's basically about a school in China um, and then how uh, the guy's like a private boarding school 
and how the war impacts their experience and they end up in a camp and I won't really see like in like a war camp and I won't really say much more than that because I want you all to read it I read that book so fast because I just it was so good and it is uh like emotional book a hard book obviously trigger warning um it's about war there's quite a lot of not a lot there is some violence within it and there is some sexual assault within it um so maybe like look it up first to make sure it's something that you're okay with reading um but surprisingly for a book that could be so sad it's actually really hopeful and uplifting and there's just so much empathy involved and it's just so 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 well written like I cannot cannot recommend it enough it's probably one of my top five books of all time currently so yeah that's what I'm engaging with sorry I'm tired (laughs) so for my my um small business of the week I'm gonna shout out an Etsy seller called the Alpha Loft so I'm a big Taylor Swift fan for people that don't already know that I am just about to order a custom t-shirt from this um, seller but basically as a Taylor Swift fan the merch that is produced like on her website sucks it's very expensive it's like overpriced it's bad quality there's endless problems with it and so I like to look at like independent stores I also don't like merch in terms of like I don't like things that are like in your face for an artist like I don't want somebody's face like plastered over my t-shirt or or anything like that I like more subtle things things to do with like lyrics or embroidery and I love things like that so she basically does the these incredible embroidered crewnecks but I have done a custom order to have as a t-shirt I'm just not a crewneck gal like I have two crewnecks that I wear and one that's black and one that's white I think and I just rotate between them and I don't really like changing that up um just because I don't I don't wear it enough I wear t-shirts a lot more um and yeah she has these stunning pieces with lots of different lyrics from different and like embroidery from different songs of Taylor Swift and she also has um prints that are really incredible she does do things that are not Taylor Swift related I'm just focusing on Taylor Swift related things because that's what I'm interested in but she has like an all too well embroidered scarf um and these prints are stunning like they could be an art gallery um the custom that I'm getting is long story short I survived as a t-shirt so stay tuned on the Instagram because I will post it as soon as it arrives I do really really love also her champagne problems um embroidery design because that's like one of my favorite songs of all time so maybe I will buy the crew neck in that I just yeah I just I'm more of a t-shirt gal so I wasn't sure I wanted a crew neck right now but I think maybe I will get one we'll see and like Betty's Garden, Cornelia Street, All Too Well, um, This Is Me Trying, there's loads of different things so to check her out just head to Etsy and type in the Alpha Loft um, or I will just have it linked in the show notes for you. She sells from London which is nice because sometimes I find it hard to find a small business that's like actually British um, so the postage is not through the roof and um, yeah so check it out and it's run by Macy who seems like a lovely gal so check that out on Etsy the alpha loft which of course as per usual will be linked in the show notes okay so for this week's poem we're going old school this is not an Instagram find we're changing it up 
This is a book that I've been dying to read. Um, so it's called Call Us What We Carry, and it's by Amanda Gorman. And if you have not heard of Amanda Gorman, um, you maybe have been living under a rock recently. She's become like a very big like breakout poet in the past couple of years. And I'm a big fan of her work. And I have wanted to buy her book for a while. And finally, I bit the bullet. I bought it at Golden Hair Books. And I did also buy some other poetry from this new business in Edinburgh called Rare Bird Books. Look at me giving you all the small business recommendations this week. So stay tuned next week for the um, the other book I bought, because I think I will share something from there as well. So this poem is called At First, and it's by Amanda Gorman. <clears throat> At first, there were no words for what we witnessed when we talked to each other. Our sentences were stilted and stalled as a telegram. Hope we are doing well, as we can be, in all these times. Unprecedented and unprecedented. When asking how others were faring, we did not expect an honest or full response. What words can answer how we're remaining alive? We became paid professionals of pain, specialists in suffering, aces of the ache, masters of the moan. March shuddered into a year, sloshing with millions of lonely and overcrowded solitude. We pray there will never be such a precise and people heart as this. We began to lose words as trees forget their leaves and fall. The language we spoke had no place for excited, eager, laughter, joy, friend, get together. The phrases that remained were their own violence. That was sick. Ha, we're dead. We are deceased. To try is to take a stab, to take a shot. We want to find who made us a slaughterhouse, a rhetoric that works in red. We teach children, leave a mark on the world. What leads a man to shoot up souls but the desire to mark? Up the globe to scar it and thus make it his, his intention to be remembered, even if for a ragged wreckage. Kids unmark this place, leave it nothing like the one we left behind. Sorry for the long text. There are no small words in the mouth. We find the rhetoric of reunion by letting love reclaim our tongues. The tip of the teeth, our hearts, have always been in our throats. So, like I said, that is called At First by Amanda Gorman, and you can read it in her book. Um, and honestly, just you just if you don't know who Amanda Gorman is, I highly, highly recommend checking her out. Um, but now we are going to hop into the interview with Ariel. So, as per usual, please do follow slash subscribe, leave a review. Um, five star if you're feeling really generous um, and please do check us out on Instagram at Fancy Blather head to our TikTok Fancy Blather go to our website fancyblather.com and don't forget to share the episodes let us know if you're listening let your friends know about the show um, spread the word <laughs> Hello, just hopping in here for this week's charity of the week chosen by Ariel. So this week's charity is Sushi and they do actually have um, 
organizations all around the world there is a uk one but there's also one in america depending where you're from and i'm sure from many other countries so sushi is a buddhist compassionate relief and is a crisis response and a companion in hardship so they are a charity that are all about finding loads of different ways to help you out they have done a lot for a covid19 response so during the outbreak of covid19 they initiated a global PPE relief scheme and so far they've delivered over 22 million PPE items to over 80 countries worldwide and in the UK they've donated medical masks, gowns and gloves to 63 healthcare institutions and they continue to provide face coverings in the community. Um, They are also committed to sustainability so to check out more about that you can head to their website which is just sushi.uk and it's spelled t-z-u-c-h-i um dot uk or just type it into google and then you can find the one that is located closest to you so you can find out more about them the events they have on ways to donate um and ways to get involved whether it's volunteering working for them spreading the word whatever it is so like i said it's sushi so it's t-z-u-c-h-i dot uk enjoy the rest of this week's episode so we are now going to chat to ariel sai ariel is best known for her poetry and in particular for her debut book Narcissus. Narcissus is weaving together sharp insights, calculated rhythm and immersive storytelling. Sai uses poetry to guide us through growing up in New York and studying in Nanjing to experience the pain, love, vulnerability and resistance she encountered. Her voice, unadulterated and sensual, sets a mirror on her foundational experiences and allows us to find resemblance in our own lives. Narcissus captures human growth for better or for worse to reflect on what it means to love oneself foolishly and wholeheartedly. She also shares a lot of her work on Instagram, Twitch and TikTok um, at the tag at Ariel Writes A Bit and we are going to chat with her right now. Got it. Hello, Ariel, and welcome to Fancy a Blather podcast. It is so lovely to have you here with us today. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure. So we like to start off every episode every week by asking our guest, what is your small wonder of the week? So just something that you've enjoyed recently. It can be, it can be something bigger. Um, some examples are like a cup of tea, um, like a cuddle from a cat, like those kinds of things. So what is your small wonder for this week? Um, well, I grow succulents um, mm-hmm. and some of them are in some pots behind me right now. And some of them have been getting so big that I'm going to need to repot them. Um, so I am a proud, proud plant mom at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love that. That is a great, a great small wonder. So have you had moments in your 20s so far where you have been surviving rather than thriving? And how did you overcome those times? I mean, I um, I think like way too often I do have those moments because like um, 
yeah, like I have mental illness. I have chronic mental illness that's been lasting since I was a kid and persisting mm-hmm. up until now. And it is a bitch. And sometimes it feels like it's really all you can do just to survive, like, and do the sort of bare minimum to like function and get through it. Um, plus I feel like because it's something I'm still dealing with, I don't feel that mental illness is something that I've necessarily like overcome per se Mm -hmm. um since I'm still like dealing with it on a daily basis but like like my therapist always says like recovery is not linear and like every day that you were even just doing the bare minimum and surviving is a triumph against the darkness so it's like you know that can be thriving is like relative you know and like if what you're doing is surviving in the face mm-hmm. of like crippling mental illness, like that can be a form of thriving. Um, so yeah, if you're my therapist, you might say that right now, despite everything, I am thriving. I love that answer. What a great answer. Um, when did your love of language begin? What has kind of been your love story with language so far? Um, so like, uh, English isn't actually like my first language. My first language is actually Mandarin Chinese. Um, like my parents are both immigrants from Taiwan, um, but I grew up like in Queens at first in New York and then eventually like on Long Island, which is very primarily white, um, the area that I'm in at least. So it's like um, my parents wanted me to speak languages that my uh, neighbors could understand. So um, English is what I would consider my native language, but mm-hmm. even though it is technically not my first. Um, but I, because of that, like I've always been sort of fascinated. I am still fluent in both Mandarin and English. I'm always been fascinated by like what is like lost and gained in the process of translation. Mm. Um, so like in college, um, I did do a year of study abroad, including one year at um, Nanjing University in Nanjing, China. Um, and I took classes of there about translation theory, which were fascinating. Um, and in like college in general, like I have a degree in English literature and criticism, but I have like a focus within my major in linguistics because I'm a little bit of like a nerd about that kind of stuff. Um, And it's just, I don't know, it's always been sort of really, really fascinating to me, like the structure and usage and the way that um, language and culture and thought are all so tightly interwoven. Um, Yeah, that's like really, really fascinating to me, always has been. But um, when it comes to like writing, I started writing really young, Um, like, probably just like really really shitty like plagiarisms of like my favorite books that were like high key like self-insert fan fiction if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah no, I know I know what you mean <laughs> yeah we've all been writing there poetry, <laughs> writing poetry started later but like um that was also very very bad but it was mostly like me sort of like venting my emotions as like a an angsty teen and preteen and stuff like that. And like with practice over time and like with more reading uh, that I did like, you know, in college and stuff like that, like it's, uh, my writing has gotten better. 
Nice. I love that. Um, so have you always loved poetry then? So you said you started kind of writing poetry really young. So did you always like reading poetry or did you kind of come to appreciate it more as you got older or what was the kind of journey with poetry in specific? Um, okay, so like I didn't always love poetry because I thought it used to, uh, I thought it had to be very like rhyming and mm. structured and like stiff and whatnot. But like the first poems I read were not in English. The first poems I read were in Chinese school because I'm that kind of like, um, you know, ABC, ABT, where uh, your parents do want you to learn your native language and spend you, send you to school on weekends to learn your native mm -hmm. language. Um, so the first poems that I ever read were actually ancient Chinese ones, like um, Tang Dynasty, Shi, Shi, or like a kind of poetic form wherein you have four lines of five syllables each. And Chinese is a monosyllabic language, meaning that um, you know, words tend to be just single syllables. Mm -hmm. um, so it's already like, there's already far more um, potential for economy of words than there is in English. But um, still the, the mastery of language required to execute such complex like themes and emotions and like imagery within the span of literally 20 characters is like actually astounding. And like, Maybe I didn't appreciate it as much then because I was forced to memorize them, but I do appreciate that more now. But like, um, it wasn't really until I started like expanding my reading horizons beyond like American public school mm -hmm. uh, reading curricula that I realized that poetry could actually be really good. And, um, it, you know, it's not all like, not to hate on Robert Frost, but like two diverse diversion of Yellowwood mm -hmm. and like I took one that was like lesser and it made all the difference. It's like not all like inspirational or like it doesn't have to be like a limerick or like a, like a, like a haiku or something yeah. like that or like an acrostic poem where you write mother and then like write one yeah. word <laughs> yeah. what you love your mom. It's like, I don't know, like all of that sort of stuff is it's it's a little bit silly in my opinion, but um, when I was uh, maybe like 13, 14, really getting into the start of like my uh, clinical depression, um, mm -hmm. like I had anxiety and ADHD undiagnosed for a long time, um, like as a kid, but then it wasn't until I was like 12, 13, 14 that like I started having like uh, really severe clinical depression as well and around that time I read the poem Alone by Edgar Allan Poe mm -hmm. and um, if you've read it like you know that there's a line that he says like from childhood's hour like I've basically it's like I've always been alone I've always been different from other kids around me I've always like you know like the things that brought me joy like were nothing to them like things that like you know, sparked curiosity in them were nothing to me. So I've always been alone um, mm -hmm. and just sort of like different from other people. And I cried reading it. It's the first poem I ever like cried reading it because he's just, and it was just so weird because like he's like some 19th century weirdo who like died under mysterious circumstances in a ditch in like freaking Baltimore or something. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> I'm like, some modern weirdo that's like 
still alive, but like we connected through that poetry over the centuries, over like the distance and time and like socioeconomic differences. Like we connected over that feeling of like mm. always having felt a little bit different than everybody else. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's connected with him that way. That's why like, that's why like art in general is so powerful, but like poetry, I feel like maybe it's because of medium I'm the best at executing, like is, <laughs> is like good, really good for that. Yeah, well, kind of going off of that theme then, what power do you believe that poetry holds? What do you, what do you believe the power kind of is that exists behind poetry? I think that there is almost a kind of hidden power, not to everyone, but I think to, to generalize the, to society as a whole, there's kind of a hidden power behind a lot of poetry and a lot of unknown poetry. I think there's a lot more power behind yeah. the poets that we don't hear about than there is behind the ones that we do hear about. So what kind of power do you think that the, that poetry can hold? I mean, what I was saying earlier, this sort of like ability to connect people mm -hmm. across time and space and like socioeconomic boundaries, but also like, and like, you know, through that lead to empathy. But, um, you know, art in general, it lets us see like a little window into the souls of other people in the way that nothing else can. You know, like we're always sort of looking at the world through our own perspective, no matter how empathetic you might be no matter how well you think you might know mm. another person. You can't really know without the lens of your own perspective. Um, and even when you're interpreting art, it's through the lens of your own perspective, but it's still objectively something that's there that they created through the lens of their own perspective. And now you can perceive it, you know, mm -hmm. in a way that's like a little bit more removed from you just trying to determine it from you know, the person themselves or whatever. And I think poetry, its own sort of special power is the ability to put into words what nothing else can, you know, like, because it's free from the sort of, I'd say constraints of conventional mm -hmm. writing, not that there really are constraints, but um, it, it can, put into words and often in far more brief terms like things that like other people other mediums cannot and like you know no matter who you are whether or not you understand Jackson Pollock or like um Tchaikovsky like mm. you might understand words you know <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I think I think that's such a good point. And I think people are often like scared off by poetry yeah. because of the experience that they maybe had like in their in their high school curriculum. And maybe like it was intimidating the way that they had to analyze such a short piece of writing. And sometimes it's better not to analyze and just to like read and take what you want from it and what you need from it, because that's the power of it as well, is that everyone can take something so unique from the same set of words mm -hmm. based on their on their own personal experiences which is kind of it can be problematic sometimes because then people can misread and misinterpret in certain situations but I think that is a lot of mm -hmm. what the power holds as well because I think people are very easily scared off because maybe they don't understand like Robert Burns as an example who's obviously like a very famous <laughs> Scottish like you kind of would have to know Scots to understand him anyway yeah. but 
I think or they don't understand like the nuances that exist in like Carol Ann Duffy's work but you don't need to always read between the lines sometimes sometimes they just want you to read what's there I think you don't always need to ask why is the curtain purple maybe it's just purple like maybe that's just the fact and focus on what it is for and you. I think so, no, more I'm... modern, more modern poets have tried to make their poetry more accessible. Yeah. You know, like with me, like yes, I do use quite a bit of like symbolism and like whatever, like mm-hmm. those kinds of devices that poets use to mm-hmm. make their writing more interesting. And like I do come from a background of not creative writing in academia, but literary criticism. So there's quite a bit of that in my work as well. Um, but it's still like I try to make it accessible because I want it to be like I don't want it to be opaque Um, and even if you don't understand all the symbolism that I'm using the significance of like I don't know like the Lucifer metaphor or something Mm -hmm. like you don't need to you can still get something out of it and I hope you do (laughs) no I love that so kind of switching gears a little bit what would you say to someone listening right now who's like going through a hard time and maybe doesn't really know who they are right now? I mean, I think fundamentally, I don't know if anyone ever fully knows who they are, but particularly like in the age that of our listeners, like within your 20s, it's quite a, like a particularly turbulent time in terms of identity. So what would you say to somebody who's listening right now who's really like trying to grapple with and figure out like what on earth their identity is? I mean, like... Okay, some words of comfort, I guess. One is that nobody ever fucking knows, you know? (laughs) Like, we are all just winging it. Even if your parents and your teachers and your mentors, everyone that you think has their life together, no, they don't. They just have it a little bit more together than than you do because they have more experience with just fucking around and finding out, you know? Like, it's (laughs) not, um, we're all just winging it. So, like, don't, worry too much especially if you're young like you can fuck up and it will still turn out okay eventually you know we're all just learning on the fly and it's hard enough to figure out like how I mean like American health insurance works and like 401ks (laughs) and taxes and like whatever it's hard enough to figure all that shit out without having to like also think about who am I as a person as a human being but also like um in the introduction to my book I talk about how identity is always in flux how it is always a work in progress and how um sort of later on in my book I explore the concept of how people will sometimes want their identity to be stable you know they want to be able to put labels on things they want to be able to just put things in neat little boxes and leave it there and then you know you'll know who you are and who you aren't and that's a comfort to some people. But I think because of the nature of things, the nature of things is change, you know, like um, nothing is forever, not the way that you identify and not the way that you live and think and are right now. And if, you know, if you think that like your identity once set is never going to change, then like that's an illusion and you're deluded by it. Um, so it's like, if you think about your identity as an eternal work in progress, then it won't be so terrifying. Like you're just figuring it out as you go along and that's okay. 
we all are. Nice. No, I love that. I think that's that's an excellent point to make. How do you think that social media has played a part in how our generation currently in their 20s view their own identities? I think that, that there is a massive kind of shift that has happened since social media has come into play. And the, the generation, millennial, Gen Z, like there's kind of both happening in their 20s right now, that experience social media as the first thing, like as through their adolescence, but as a new thing. It wasn't like the people mm-hmm. experiencing it in the adolescence now who who there's research on it. And I'm I, like, it's far from perfect, but there's a lot more awareness or the impact of social media. So what what do you think that has done to like the, the identities or how we view our identities as a as a generation, obviously as like a generalization? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we have always, always, as human beings in society, social media or not, technology or not, we've always seen ourselves in terms of other people, you know? How do you know who I am? You know who they are, you know who we are. And so you see yourself, you identify yourself in terms of, um, you know, at first in terms, most simply in terms of what you are not, um it's like i think i want to say it's like fanon or something like negative self-construction i'm probably wrong there please don't kill me audience um but <laughs> maybe it's Ames is there i i really don't know but it's like we we uh know ourselves through what we are not and um you know we know ourselves in terms of other people like you're like, oh, I'm like this person. I'm not like this person. In this such and such a way, we are alike. And so we are, you know, we vibe or something. <laughs> like we're social creatures, like fundamentally speaking. Mm-hmm. I think social media has just sort of like exacerbated and accelerated the, um, you know, uh, effects of that kind of socialization, of that kind of comparison. Um, it's just on a whole new level now because our communication systems have been so enhanced. Mm. Yeah, no, and I, the pool of people has grown so significantly. Yes, like the amount of yes. people that you can compare to are people that you may never even meet in real life, mm-hmm. but they, yeah. they now exist in your world. And I think that's something that is, I've listened to a really interesting podcast. I want to say it was Working Title by Margot Lee did an incredible job at talking about like this idea of a number and a number that actually mentally you can process like that is the number of people Mm -hmm. that you can know that is logical and because of social Mm -hmm. media because of the internet the number of people that we now know has grown so significantly that you can't actually like you can't actually really interpret it like you can't really connect (laughs) with such a large group because it's not it's not realistic like even if you even if you live for a hundred years like you're still one person and there's only so much time so I think it's really interesting the point you make about that so talking about the lack of empathy that exists in the world um I will be one of the first people to put my hands up and say that lack of empathy is very much like the breeder of so so much of the world's problems and things that go wrong in the world I think lack of empathy and miscommunication often go hand in hand and you can go into any like workplace any relationship and figure out that that typically is the is the root problem so what do you think are ways that people can just show more empathy in their daily lives like we're not talking necessarily big scale I think more like 
like the little ripple that then connect creates mm -hmm. the effect of the wave in the sea. What are some things that you think people could start implementing today? I mean, okay. So one of the ways I see lack of empathy being sort of um, displayed in daily life is mm. by people who re react emotionally to others, like screaming at a sales clerk or like, I don't know, screaming slurs at someone who looks vaguely Asian for bringing mm. Chinese viruses over to the United States or something. Um, so before you react emotionally to someone, just take a second to take a breath and step back, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe both, I don't know, don't be in someone's face. There's a whole ass pandemic out there. Um, and like, people say this a lot, but try, try your best to put yourself in this other person's shoes. Like, they're a person like you, like, um, you know, even if it's like them screaming at you, it's like, what do you think would get you to react this way? Like, mm. maybe it's not that they hate you. Maybe it's that they've had a really, really shitty day today and their socks are wet and their wife wants to divorce them and they're just taking it out on you, you know? Um, there's always, uh, there's almost always more to a person's actions than you can ever fully understand. But like putting into practice this idea of like, most people are actually like me and, you know, if we're acting shitty, maybe it's because like of something else. Like maybe this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. Like your Starbucks order was a little bit wrong and now you're screaming at a barista. Like, you know, if you as the screamer um, want to exercise more empathy in your life, you can maybe think like, okay, maybe this barista th this this coffee shop is like really really busy they like fucked up a little bit they can just like remake my drink it's not that big a deal um and i i should know you know as the screamer it's like maybe it's like there's all this shit going on in my life and i really wish that i wasn't taking out on this underpaid employee right now mm. um or as a barista you can avoid a reacting emotionally by being like okay this person that's screaming at me it's like maybe they react this way in other aspects of their life and people just don't like them and that's why they're acting the way they are right now because they just don't know how to fucking act um i'll just remake this drink and be as pleasant as possible and go along with my day because i am glad i'm grateful that i'm not that <laughs> <laughs> no, and maybe like that's that. not like the right way quote unquote to do yeah. like empathy but it's like thinking most of the people just like me, they're just going through the day, they're just trying their best, and it stops you from making monsters and icons and symbols out of people mm -hmm. um, that you can just sort of treat however you like. Um, and it lets you see that in the end, we're more similar than we usually like to think of ourselves as being. Nice. I love that. Um, how do you prioritize your health whilst like living your dream, writing your book and hustling along the way, how do you make sure that your health stays at the forefront of your mind? I mean, I'm speaking from a place of uh, privilege here, but um, mm -hmm. you know, like I am physically anyway, very healthy. Um, not very healthy, but like healthy enough, you know? Yeah, like, yeah I get you. <laughs> um, there's nothing that like, gets in my way of my daily function, uh, except for my mental health. Um, I, so it's like, 
Hmm. I don't believe in hustle culture, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in just like grind, grind, grind 24 mm-hmm. seven and like never take a break because if you miss, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take and like, you got to get it now, 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 now. So fuck your health. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't believe in that. You know, it's not to say that I'm not ambitious, you know, like I wouldn't have written a book if I wasn't an ambitious person but like physical, mental, and emotional health for me have always been more important than how much money Mm -hmm. you make or how many hours you put in or whatever, you know, like, again, I understand I'm speaking from a place of privilege and like, I don't have to like, you know, work double shifts just to like keep my family fed or whatever. Um, Like, I'm just trying to live a life that I can live with and like in a way that I won't regret and to maybe make some art along the way but like for everyone out there more generally speaking like you can only really do your best if you're healthy physically mentally emotionally um if your health is out of whack like you're not going to be able to hustle as hard as you want to. You're not going to be able to put in your best for your family, for your friends, for yourself. Um, so I don't see why anything else like should be more important than that. Like that should be a priority is your health. Absolutely. I completely, I completely agree. What are some of your thriving moments from your 20s so far? Kind of like your highlight reel. I mean, publishing this book, uh, obviously, like it's out now as an ebook. Um, and this month, January 2022, um, the paperback book is going to be coming out. And then later in 2022, I'm going to finally get my hands on that sexy, sexy hardcover edition that I've been craving. Um, Amazing. I'm such we will a, link it I'm in the show notes sucker. as well. So thank you. Thank you. I am such a sucker for a good looking hardcover book. So (laughs) that was really my main goal in uh, publishing this book is to get a hardcover book with my name on it on my shelf. Um, But yeah, like this publishing the book itself is like, yeah, that's a thriving moment. But throughout the process, I've had some thriving moments and not so thriving moments, you know, Mm because it's like, I'm a writer fundamentally, not a marketer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But since I did this through like an assisted self-publishing thing yeah I didn't have to pay as much money for like a publicist or whatever but I had to do that shit myself and that was not great in terms of like my mental health whatever but if you look at like the overall progression of my mental mm-hmm. health it's had its ups and downs and whatnot but it's like it's like when you zoom out on an economics graph and mm-hmm. it's like there's all these like dips and stuff like that and there's like ups and downs and stuff but ultimately it's like the GDP or whatever is still growing. Um, that's my mental health. And that I would say is a thriving thing. Not a moment, but. No, no. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's a great, that's a great thriving example. So we're going to, um, if you had to sum up your 20, your twenties in three words, what would they be? Mm. <laughs> I'm still in the middle of my twenties. Um, well, so far, and, obviously, not like yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't have to comment on what's yet. Clearly, to come. like clearly, like verbosity is a thing I have a problem with. 
but uh, not really sure. Probably something like trying my best. <laughs> nice. I like. I like it. It's a, it's a phrase as well, which is even better. Um. So a little bit of rapid fire. Do you prefer a physical book or an ebook? Physical. Although audiobooks do have a special place in my heart if narrated well. Nice. Um. Best poem you've ever read so far. That one's unfair um <laughs> i like different ones for different reasons but i'd say john milton's paradise lost if you'd count that monster of a thing as a poem okay this one's probably even more harsh favorite poem you have written so far um it's in my book uh and it's called devotion okay women you are most inspired by you can if you can't think of one you can name more than one my mom uh, definitely the big one, but also like Maya Angelou. Nice. Best book you've read so far or even just recently? Very unfair question as well, but <laughs> <laughs> if I can cheat a little and name a series. Yeah, of uh, course. I would say his, yeah, his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, which I adore. It is um, probably the reason I became a writer. Like the first things I ever wrote were probably really, really shitty ripoffs of um, of of uh, Philip Pullman, and with um, the main character being named Lyra instead of Lyra, spelled L uh, L E I R A, which is just my name but backwards, which is what I mean about like really <laughs> shitty self insert. <laughs> nice. What's your go-to drink? Alcoholic or or non-alcoholic or both? Non-alcoholic is probably tea. I have tea right here in my little mug that has what a raccoon What type of tea? Of Do you have a, a specific right tea now, that's like your this go-to? Is, right now this is black because I need the caffeine. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I, it depends on my mood. Nice. Um, but I never, I'm not the kind of person to put milk and sugar in my tea. I don't know if that makes me blasphemous in, oh, in no, Scotland or whatever. <laughs> no, no, I'm more, of a her- I'm more of a herbal tea person mm. more of like a, pep- a peppermint tea I'm really big into peppermint teas at the moment Ooh. yeah yeah I'm not much of a I'm not, I'm not much of a like plain tea person like I don't really like mm. breakfast tea I don't mind a like an Earl Grey but I don't really do the breakfast tea it's not my not my vibe <laughs> I I gotta say I don't really do breakfast tea either um I, I don't know what it is that makes it different from just normal black tea, but just, I am yeah. ethnically Chinese, so um, mm. this is this is like loose leaf black tea from the mountains of Taiwan or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you have a do you have a go to alcoholic drink as well? Um, red wine because I am the stereotype of a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So where can our listeners find you? Shout yourself out, plug yourself. Yeah. Um, so on Instagram, on TikTok, and on Twitch. Now I stream on Twitch um, using this fancy dancy headset. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Ariel Writes a Bit. Um, it's all one word. Ariel Writes a Bit. Um, and like, you know, those are my like book thingies uh mm-hmm. that's like kind of how I promo myself how I make announcements about my book and stuff but yeah perfect so the final question that we like to end our interview every week is what have you been engaging with recently 
what have I been engaging with recently? I mean, I've been engaging with my audience on Twitch, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it's a new thing for me. So I'm still trying to like figure things out. And I'm also like, um, too young to be a true millennial, but too old to be like a Gen Zer. So I'm like kind of in this weird twilight zone. I'm the the same. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wherein like, I'm like, kind of technologically incompetent a little bit but like I'm still the go-to for when my mom can't fucking like concatenate (laughs) on an excel spreadsheet so um yeah so I don't know the my particular audience on twitch is lovely and like helps me out gives me tips and stuff like that and also just enjoys whatever the fuck I give them like um like I don't know, I was reading like Sappho poems. I was reading like poems by like Robert Frost. And Mm -hmm. um, I was reading out of Ovid's Metamorphoses. I was reading like, I don't know, uh, The Golden Compass, the first book in the His Dark Material series um, with my very limited uh, range of voices to use for different characters. Nice. I love that. That's a great thing to be engaging with. Well, thank you so much for coming on this week, Ariel. It was so lovely to chat with you and for everyone at home, everything will be linked in the show notes so you can follow Mm -hmm. Ariel, check out her work, buy her book, do all the things. So yeah, thank you for joining us. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. It has been lovely being here. No problem. Bye. Bye bye. That is the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. For any links, please just head straight to the show notes where you will find everything mentioned throughout the intro and anything mentioned throughout the episode and also how to follow along with Ariel's journey as she continues to write poetry. Um, Please do, as per usual, follow follow slash subscribe um, review the podcast, share the episode, share it with your friends, share it on Instagram. And um, go to if you're listening on Spotify, you can take a little three dots and then share and then share to Instagram, share to WhatsApp, share it with everyone. Um, and while you're at it, why not give us a follow on Instagram at Fancy Blather? If you're doing your little TikTok scrolling, type in Fancy Blather, you'll find us there too. Or if you happen to be doing the wordle of the day, why not just type in fancyblather.com and subscribe to our website just just because you can. Well, um, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You will hear from me and Naomi for an episode of Small Talk next Monday. Bye!